0: good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers chapter 30. Those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we began a sermon series in the book of Numbers all the way back in January, starting the first Sunday in January. And we have been making our way through the book of Numbers in a series we've called The Journey Home. Believe it or not, we only have three more sermons in the book of Numbers f- following this morning's sermons. Uh, with the little laughter there, maybe you do uh, expect that we should be done soon. We haven't been a full year. They were 40 years in the wilderness. But as you remember, we started at the base of Mount Sinai as... The people of Israel had been delivered out of Egypt. They've been brought, they had been brought to the base of Mount Sinai and given the law. And there, the book of Numbers picks up with a census of the people of Israel as they are going to go into the promised land. But of course, as we saw, they refused entrance into the promised land. They refused to receive the promise of God. And therefore, that first generation out of Egypt was caused to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all but two of that first generation died. Now the Lord has raised up a new generation. And they have been brought to the very edge of the promised land to enter into it. A second census has been taken. The Lord has been faithful. The people of Israel are continuing to be a strong people. And now, over the last couple of chapters, we have been dealing with laws that would regulate life in the promised land. We talked about the daughters of Zephalahad and how the inheritance of the promised land would not be taken away from any one of the tribes of Israel. We talked about how Joshua would be the leader bringing them into the promised land. last week we talked about the required offerings that followed the calendar when they came into the land of Canaan. And this morning we are going to take some time to look at vows. The obligation of vows as they enter into the land of promise. We're going to focus our attention on the first two verses of Numbers chapter 30. Hear now the word of the Lord. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. Father God, we come to You now Seeking from You the very words of life. And so we pray, Father, as we turn our attention to Your Word, that You would be faithful to pour out Your Spirit upon us. That You might anoint my words, so that what is accomplished here this morning would not be what men can do, but only what the power of God can accomplish. We pray that You would feed Your sheep, And we pray, O Lord, that You would cause faith to rise in the hearts of those who do not know You. For we know and we trust that Your sheep hear Your voice and they will truly follow You. May You call them forth this day. And we pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. I have to be honest. When I first came to this section of Numbers, I was questioning what I would have to say this morning about vows. I didn't really think of vows as being a big part of our worship or even our daily lives. I mean, how often are vows really made? And once they have been made, what effect do they have on our lives? Yet this week I was surprised as my eyes were opened to the pervasiveness of vows in life. This realization began as I searched through the Bible for other texts that deal with vows, and I was overwhelmed by the number and variety of vows that are recorded in the Word of God. Next, I was reminded that the Westminster Confession of Faith has a whole chapter that specifically deals with vows. And even this morning as we celebrated the baptism of little Annie Rutledge, I was confronted with another occasion for vows. Contrary to my initial thoughts, vows are everywhere. And not only are they very common, but they are extremely important. Vows are the basis of marriage. Vows are the basis of membership in the church. And even my own calling as a pastor are based on vows. And the further I studied vows, I came to see that vows are at the very center of the gospel itself. As we come to Numbers chapter 30, we come to an extended discussion on the legal and moral obligations of keeping a vow. The majority of the text deals with the particularities of making and establishing and keeping vows when someone is under a relational authority. That is, it gives the legal guidance for the heads of households who have the right to initially annul a vow of one who is under their authority. However, once a vow is established, it cannot be annulled. It must be fulfilled. I don't believe that I'm overselling the importance of vows by saying that without fidelity to a vow, there would be no security in this world or in the world to come. Without vows, we would have no hope, no confidence, no security. Yet when vows are kept, those who place their faith in God will have great confidence in the security of eternal life. What I would like to do this morning is to show you from God's Word first the nature of a vow, next the occasion of a vow, and finally the importance of a vow. And once we have established these three things, I would like to show you how these are all fulfilled in Christ. So first, the nature of a vow. I'm not sure if kids still use this phrase, but when I was young, if you really wanted to give weight to a promise, you would say, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Yeah, kind of gruesome. Right? (laughs) Nevertheless, this phrase gets to the heart of what is going on in a vow, to the very nature of a vow. That is what a vow is meant to do. Now, as we go through Numbers 30, there's a few things that we need to see about the nature of a vow. First, the nature of a vow in our passage this morning teaches us that it is voluntary. A vow is voluntary. The first word in verse 2, if you look there, says... If, if a man takes a vow, there's no requirement to take a vow. It is under the discretion of a person as to whether or not they are going to vow. In the previous two chapters, the Lord has outlined the obligatory offerings that were to be brought to the Lord. But in this chapter, he deals with things that are freely offered to him. It's important that we understand this. A vow is entered into freely. The second thing that we see is that a vow is to be made to the Lord. When we make vows, we make a vow to the Lord alone. Jesus teaches us that we aren't to swear by anything lower than the Lord God. Our yes must be yes, our no must be no. Therefore, we read in verse 2, if a man vows a vow to the Lord, Our vows are to God. Next, we see that a vow binds one to an action. It is a promise that you will indeed perform the action that is vowed. When you are on the witness stand, you vow to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. When you take this vow, you are binding yourself to do what you have said. When you sign a contract, you are taking an oath to fulfill the terms of the contract. That you will pay your rent. That you will work for a year at a specific school. And the final aspect of a vow is that a vow is voluntary, but then once it is taken, it becomes obligatory. You are obliged to do what you have vowed to the Lord a vow takes what is voluntary and it makes it obligatory. For example, you don't have to join Rivermont. That's a voluntary choice to join this church. But once you do, you are under obligation to keep your membership vows to support and to participate in the life and activities of this body to the best of your ability. You are called to submit yourself to the session of this church. That is a voluntary action until you take a vow. And once you take a vow, once you become a member, you are saying, I will now submit myself to this church. And it becomes required by the Lord that you fulfill it. Listen to how Deuteronomy 23 explains the nature of a vow. It says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed from your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. You see, a, vo- a vow is voluntary. But once you take the vow, it is obligatory. There is no backing out. And therefore, a vow is an extremely strong and secure promise. For when a Christian makes a vow, he is calling upon the Lord Himself to act as the security of His words. To call down even a curse from the Lord if He does not do as He says Cross my heart, hope to die. This is the nature of a vow to bring the security of divine obligation to our words. So then, why make a vow? Why do this? Why take an action that's voluntary and make it obligatory in your life? Wouldn't it just be easier To refrain from ever vowing so that you never put yourself in a place where you have a divine obligation to pay a vow? Just keep your mouth shut. Why limit your freedom in this manner ever? Well, again, we can go back to the playground. Why do you cross your heart? Why do little kids do pinky swears? They do it to enter into a relationship of mutual benefit, right? A win-win situation. You give me your hostess cupcake today and I swear I will give you a blow pop tomorrow. We both win! But the only way I can get what I want now is to swear that a future benefit will be given. The occasion for a vow is to secure a relationship. So again, we take marriage vows. Why? That we might enter into a relationship. We take membership vows to secure mutual benefits from entering into the relationship with the body of Christ. We have membership vows. Why? So that we could be bound together as a family in the name of Christ. Yes, there are obligations that are put upon Annie's parents as she she is brought for baptism. But it also puts requirements upon us, the body, that there is a relationship of mutual benefit that is not given to those who are not willing to give themselves over to vows. And if you enter into a vow with the Lord, you enter into a relationship of mutual benefit. Let's explain this concept Because we might misunderstand what we mean by mutual benefit with the Lord. We might think that we might be bribing the Lord or giving the Lord something when we make a vow. In Psalm 50, the Lord says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. I do not eat the flesh of bulls or drink blood of goats. God is establishing an important truth. A vow or an offering is not a divine bribe. The Lord receives no material benefit from our vows to Him. Nevertheless, the psalm continues, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High. Call upon Me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify Me. The Word of God calls us to make sacrifices, to perform vows, to enter into a relationship with God so that when we are in a day of trouble, we might receive the benefit of being delivered and He will be glorified. This is the occasion for a vow. When you find yourself in a time of need, the security of the Lord's deliverance is offered. So for example, your air conditioner in your house stops working. And you get that bill and you can't pay it. And you vow to the Lord, if He provides a way for the repair to be made, that you will host small group at your home. (laughs) The Lord doesn't need your house for small groups. The world and all of its fullness are His. But when He delivers you and your AC gets fixed, you glorify Him. You honor Him as the saving God by fulfilling your vow to Him. And so make and fulfill your vows to the Lord when you need the security of His deliverance. When you are sick, when you are in need, when you desire reform and change in your life, when you want deliverance from sin, prayerfully and mindfully make vows to the Lord and then fulfill your vow. This isn't buying off the Lord. The Lord is not obligated to do what you are calling upon Him to do. It's not bribing Him. But the Lord calls us in His Word, perform your vows to the Most High. Why? Because He is glorified in our lives as He saves His people. That is the occasion of a vow to enter into a saving relationship with the Lord. In the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel, we read of a woman who cannot have a child, Hannah. Hannah. She comes into the sanctuary of the Lord and she makes a vow. There we read, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if You will indeed look on the affliction of Your servant and remember Me and not forget Your servant, but will give to Your servant a son then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Hannah was in a day of trouble. And she vowed a vow to the Lord. And then we read, And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. At this point, we have to ask, well, why would Hannah keep her vow to the Lord? To give her son back. She has what she wants. Why not just keep her son? Why not just keep this child that she has longed for? That she has prayed for? Why not just keep this boy home? The reason that we would try to break a vow is because we would want the immediate pleasure of having that which we have vowed to the Lord. Hannah could have broken her vow to the Lord so that she could have kept her boy. We might desire to break our wedding vows because we believe that there will be a short-term happiness in being free from the insufferable spouse that we have found ourselves with. We might want to break our membership vows so that we can give our time and our talents and our treasures towards completely personal endeavors. You break a contract because you think that you will get a better deal somewhere else. The little kid at the lunch table might break his vow so that he can keep the blow pop for himself while at the same time getting the cupcake. Right? Whatever the case, we have to ask, why would we ever keep a vow once we get what we want? Well, quite simply, to break a vow is to incur the wrath of God. You see, in verse 15 of our text, the result of breaking a vow is iniquity you can look there it says if he that is talking about a husband makes them null and void after he has heard of them this is the vow then he shall bear her iniquity this verse is saying that a husband cannot require his wife to break her vows to the lord but if he does if he causes his wife to break her vows if he keeps her from doing what she has vowed to the Lord then the sin the iniquity of breaking the vow falls upon him More broadly we see generally if you break a vow it incurs iniquity you you come under the curse of God We read in the book of Malachi cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and My name will be feared among the nations. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. If you take the name of the Lord upon yourself in a vow, the Lord will not look the other way. For we are called upon to fulfill our vows to the Lord. And if we do not, we will come under the very wrath of God. So the nature of a vow is that it moves an action from voluntary to obligatory. The occasion is salvation and glory. And we keep our vows that we might avoid the wrath of God. Nevertheless, who has never broken His Word? We take vows to ensure the security of a relationship, like our marriage or church membership, even becoming a citizen of a country. Yet, instead of providing the security that they were designed Often our vows end in brokenness and cursing. For Psalm 116 says, All men are liars. And therefore all of us, all of us are under the curse of a broken vow. We have led a life in which we have made vows to the Lord and which we have broken those vows. Yet even as we are under the curse of a broken vow, the Lord Himself made a vow. For we read in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, God made a promise to Abraham, and therefore He had no one greater by whom to swear. He swore by Himself, saying, Surely I will bless you. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of His promise, He guaranteed it with an oath so that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. What does this mean? It means that God has made a vow. A vow to bless and to save a people for Himself. Just as every vow we make is voluntary, the Lord has entered into a voluntary relationship. You see, He had no obligation to save a people who had rebelled against Him. He could have left all of us to our own fate. He did not have to bless. He did not have to save. We have done nothing to earn or to deserve salvation from the Lord. Nevertheless, the Lord voluntarily chose to bind Himself in a relationship with a people by which He said, I will be your God and you shall be My people. Why did He do this? Well, He did this for mutual benefit. He did this that you might be saved and that He might be glorified. For even as we read in the opening chapter of Ephesians, He predestined us for adoption as sons, Why did He do that? Why did He choose us? Did He choose us because we had something that we could offer to Him? Something that obliged Him to give us salvation? No. He predestined us for adoption as sons to the praise of His glorious grace. He made a vow to us that His grace might be praised. And how do we know that this vow will be kept? For we have all lied, we have all broken our vows to Him, we are all under a curse. Nevertheless, the vow that the Lord has made cannot be broken. For even as we have broken our word to Him, He entered into a relationship with us and He vowed that He would take upon Himself the curse that should have been on us. Even though we were the one that did not keep our word, that curse was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord sent forth His Son, a Lamb from His own flock, a Lamb without blemish, to secure the divine vow through the shedding of His own blood. To take upon Himself the curse of our broken vow. To fulfill in His own person the unbreakable Word of the Lord. And therefore, we are called upon To keep our vows to the Lord for our good and for His glory. But ultimately, our good, our blessing is not secured by our ability to fulfill our vows to the Lord, but rather, our good, our blessing, our salvation is secured by the fact that the Lord made a vow and sealed it with the blood of Christ. This is the security of a vow the faithfulness of the Lord. Therefore, keep your vows to the Lord, knowing that He will never break His Word to you in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go now to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to You as those who have not kept our side of the deal. Who have spoken rash and foolish words with our mouths. Those who have been born in the line of Adam. The One who has broken covenant with You. Nevertheless, Lord, You have made a vow to save us. And so we come in the security of that vow, knowing that You will never break Your Word to us. I pray, Lord, if there is any here this morning who have not placed their faith in the vow of Your Word sealed by the blood of Christ, that even now faith would arise in their hearts to trust You that You will fulfill Your Word to save Your people. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.